leadership in cybersecurity isn't just about understanding threats. It's about leading a team to navigate them with confidence. At CPF Coaching LLC, we specialize in taking your leadership skills to the next level. With over 15 years in the cybersecurity field, we empower professionals and startups to reach unprecedented heights. Imagine having a personalized coaching experience tailored to your unique career ambitions. From strategic planning to masterful pitch and interview preparations, we're here to guide you through every challenge. Join us for our unique value proposition workshops or dive into our vibrant learning community for continuous skill advancement. Don't just be a part of the industry. Redefine it. Visit cpfcoaching.com for more information. Discover the leader within. Contact CPF Coaching LLC today and schedule your strategic session. Hey, security peeps. We're back with another edition of Breaking into Cybersecurity. I am Renee Small, cybersecurity super recruiter, putting amazing talent in the hands of awesome security leaders. And I'm here with two phenomenal people today. First, my co-host, Chris Folon. Say hi to everyone, Chris. Hey, everyone. And our special guest today is Kyle Drazy, crazy with a D. Say hi, That's everyone, me. Kyle. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Excellent. So we are super excited to have Kyle here today because he is a security architect. He's done a ton of different things in his career. He's been in the military. I mean, so many different things. And Kyle, we want to just ask you, how did you get into this wacky industry? How did you get into security? Uh, let's see. I made my way uh, to being a security architect through backpacking Europe and Africa and art school and the military and uh, being an intelligence professional. I was a linguist. Um, everything in between and then somehow miraculously somebody said, hey, you want to come work in a sock? Um, I'd, I'd worked in a talk. I'd worked in a jock. I've worked into pretty much every type of operation center imaginable. So I figured, you know what, why not start into cyber? And um, yeah, it's been a pretty decent ride since then. Uh, within cyber itself, uh, cyber threat intelligence analyst, to a SOC operations manager, to a program manager, became a sales engineer on the commercial financial services side of the industry. Uh, now I'm doing solutions architecture where cyber is maybe 20% of what I do, um, in addition to C4ISR and, you know, AI and ML and sensors and pretty much every cool Iron Man, James Bond thing you could ever imagine, uh, I at least get a play with and have access to PhDs where that's all they eat, sleep and breathe. So um, I'm kind of like a kid in a candy store at this point in my career. I'm incredibly lucky. Um, I'm not working some 12-hour shift at a sock looking at false logs and alerts and, you know, banging my head on a desk. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been a long winding road. Um, and, and to be honest, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here. Um, I'm kind of junior for being in the position I'm in. Uh, and I've got a lot of really, really good mentors that keep throwing more and more stuff on me. Chris and I were talking before this went on that, you know, I'm getting like five or six alerts just right before this gets on about, you know, askers and taskers for me for fun things. Um, so I'll be busy the rest of the, the rest of the afternoon after this is over. But um, yeah, um, where do you have, how far back do you want me to start? Um, my, uh, my grandfather and my great uncles were all in the British military in World War II. Um, you know, so I grew up sort of knowing about international politics and the way the world works. because the whole reason I exist is the Nazis bombed the ever living bejesus out of England. Uh, so my family came here and, 
you know, I grew up with that. And so when it came time for me, I decided, you know what, I'll join the army too. And, uh, you know, that generation of my family wondered what part of the British army I was going to join. And I laughed and said, <laughs> well, I grew up in America. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I enlisted after a failed attempt at uh, film school. I wanted to be the next Attenborough because I wanted to just film nature documentaries. So I went to school in England because it's incredibly cheap for people like me. Um, and realized I also needed to eat. So I left film school and I realized that whole, you know, being able to afford to feed myself wouldn't come to fruition through that. And um, I came back to America and enlisted in the army. Uh, I went into the recruiter and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to jump out of airplanes and learn to speak Arabic. Um, my granddad had been in Libya in World War II and I always found weird little matchbooks from strange cafes in Tripoli and stuff. So I was always kind of fascinated by the Middle East. Um, you know, uh, had a picture of T. Lawrence when I was a kid. I was that dork. Uh, and um, I wanted to jump out of airplanes because why not? And um, yeah, joined the army and went to language school, learned how to speak Arabic, learned how to speak standard, learned how to speak Iraqi, learned how to speak Yemeni, a couple other things. And went to jump school, and then I uh, went to a technical school where they taught me cryptologic data and voice interception. So that was kind of my intro into systems and networks and the ones and the zeros of communication and how to analyze them, exploit them, stuff like that. Um, ended up serving in the 82nd Airborne Division, uh, went overseas, did all that stuff. Um, got to work with pretty much every single unit and sexy part of the military and government that people make movies about. Um, then, as is typical for the government, if you're decent at your job, they say, hey, we need to promote you to where you don't do your job anymore, but you'll manage other people. So uh, the Army sent me to college. Uh, <laughs> uh, college 2.0 was a lot better than film school. Uh, I did geography and GIS because I'm still a map nerd. Um, and switched over to the reserve at the time President Obama was drawing down active duty numbers. So I decided to take my shot at the contracting world. Um, I grew up in Northern Virginia. I'm a rare Northern Virginia native, um, as opposed to most of the people that live in the DC area that come from everywhere else. And uh, yeah, started off doing Intel analysis and learning the contracting business um, while still serving in the reserves as an intel officer. And uh, yeah, one of my NCOs and a good buddy of mine, Ron, said, hey, we're looking to build out a cyber threat intelligence cell for a sock that the government owns that's literally built into a, a, a mountain near where I live. And I said, how can I turn that down? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I started off and I... Yeah, I mean, it, you get to go work in a bat cave. Of course I'm going to go do that. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was just one of those things where at that time, threat intelligence, especially in the cyber landscape, was entirely new. It still is. Yeah. But at that, at that time, you know, I might as well have been speaking ancient Greek, let alone Greek. So, you know, I'm dealing with people with, you know, alphabet soup after their name for SysP and A plus and Network plus and Sec plus and all that stuff. And the basic concept of using data to inform their security posture and operations rather than just following checklists of compliance <laughs> was incredibly foreign. Um, you know, and so you've got to sort of, you know, start start from scratch and sort of build them up. 
So, you know, I, I started to help them build out a intelligence operations tempo to go with focused operations. So all your tier three, tier four sort of stuff with an incident response, you know, help them out with that. Um, get plugged in more to the threat intelligence community across, you know, commercial, government, secret squirrely stuff, all of that. Um, and then the, the guy that had been running the entire program resigned. And the company came in and said, we're looking for people that can manage people and money. So immediately all the, all the engineers put their head down. They wanted nothing to do with it. Um, and I've been managing people in budgets since I was 19. Um, yeah, so I raised my hand and everyone looked like, oh, God. Uh, in case you all can't tell, I'm an extrovert, which is really, really rare in this line of work. Um, but it, it's helped me immensely. Um, so, yeah, I took over as a program manager. Um, for a while, I was program manager, Intel lead, and operations lead, so I wasn't sleeping much. Um, and I've got a, a daughter at home, so literally, I was not sleeping much. Um, yeah, and then eventually, an opportunity came up um, with my company um, to where I could go work in the commercial space and get some of that experience. So I was doing sales engineering and you know solutions architecture for... Um, I can't really name the logos due to uh, NDAs, but Fortune 500 logos and banks that you see all the time on Wall Street reporting and stuff like that. Um, you know, doing things around like swift security assessments. Um, you know, when you get paid to hack a major bank, you know, to you know to pretend that you're a a, a nation state threat actor and you can steal like 25 cents from them to say, "See, I did it." Um, you know, that's a cool job. Um, I did physical security assessments with them. So one time there's a major insurance consortium that's global that was one of our clients. And I literally broke into their boardroom and was sitting there waiting for the board for their meeting. And they wondered how I got in, um, you know, so stuff like that. And then um, uh, the, 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 the national security government part of the company came calling back to me um, with some good opportunities. Um, you know, to work on not just cyber, because that's always been my thing is I don't want to get pigeonholed as a, as a cyber guy. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just there's so much cyber opportunities out there that if all you want to do is cyber, that's perfectly fine and you can. But, you know, um, I'm interested in so many different things and, you know, um, the opportunity to play in all of those spaces really attracted to me. Um, so I guess I haven't really even talked too much about my company. So uh, I work for BAE Systems. Uh, it's the merger of the old British Aerospace and Marconi Electronic Systems. So we are, depending on what day of the week it is, we're the second or the third largest defense and aerospace company in the world. Um, we've got anywhere between 85 to 100,000 employees, again, depending on what day of the week it is, um, working on all seven continents and on two planets. We've got a lot of stuff on the Mars rover. Um, wow. And we're the leader in electronic warfare in the world, C4ISR, cybersecurity solutions. We build aircraft carriers and tanks, and we build nuclear submarines and pretty much everything. And, uh, you know, if you look at our history, we were, you know, behind such classics as, you know, the Vickers Hawker, Falcon, the Vickers Machine Gun, uh, Crusader and Challenger tanks, pretty much everything fought by Commonwealth soldiers in World War One and II. Um, 
you know, uh, Marconi is the father of the RF spectrum, if you know anything about you know, science history, and he's one of our sort of company fathers. So, I mean, the the creation of radar, you know, um, our, our corporate experience and history, um, you know, it, Royal Ordnance was one of our subsidiaries. They provided, you know, um, gunpowder to the cannons in the English Civil War in the 1600s. So we go back so far. You know, yeah. and it's the kind of history you can't get at a startup um, and the kind of varied opportunities you can't get with that either. So, you know, that was one of the things that attracted me to the company first, because they literally built the stuff that my grandfather and my uncles fought with during the war um, and, you know, kept the Nazis from bombing the rest of their country. Um, and, you know, all the stuff that we still do today um for frontline warfighters governments around the world um and even in the commercial and financial services space you know um we're not a vendor we're uh you know we're, we're a strategic security partner for everyone that we work with and we bring them in as if they're part of our company and we're part of theirs and that's what i've loved about this place and what keeps me there wow There's so many I, yeah i mean yeah. I, <laughs> There's so many pieces to this. So Tony Thomas, I put a comment up here. People are commenting and and, uh, and he says, sounds like a dream job. And that that's really what- It is, it is. If, if you are technical, it's a dream job. If you're an extrovert, it's a dream job. If you're an introvert, it's a dream job. Um, you know, I've got to present at RSA. I've got to present at international shows, uh, the Sophic Expo for all the special operations forces stuff down in Tampa. You know, and most of that's just U.S.-based stuff. Uh, before COVID happened, we were all going to go to the Farnborough Air Show, which is the largest uh, aerospace and aeronautics show in the world in the U.K., because our sixth-gen fighter program called the Tempest is a unmanned fighter with drone wingmen that use swarm technology to protect itself. It's literally a jet fighter without a pilot. Nice. You know? And, like, that's the stuff we do got to harden those platforms. So we do hardening of embedded systems. We do all sorts of red team and blue team of embedded systems and other tr more traditional cyber networks. You know, we've got a whole anti-tamper capability, which is world class. Um, you know, without getting too into the weeds about stuff we can't do or talk about, you know, I, I, I've literally seen, you know, a self-propelled artillery vehicle get hacked to where they can move and traverse the turret without the, you know, without the crew touching anything. And you do that, so as Chris knows, after you do that, you reverse engineer everything to make it so it can't happen again. But like, that's the kind of cool stuff we get to work with. Um, so Tony, yeah. I think you just um, gave your company a commercial for hiring. <laughs> and guess what? We are hired. <laughs> Everybody is going to want in. And they should. I mean, uh, actually, totally we're, uh, we, uh, we just announced that we're going to build a $120 million campus in Austin, Texas last week. Uh, it's going to be mostly around electronic warfare, EO, IR, uh, some of the cyber and electromagnetic activities kind of stuff. So the real sexy part of cyber, you know. Um, and so we're going to be hiring there. Um, so yeah, come on down. <laughs> Claudia just said, oh man, now I want to go work for BAE. <laughs> you should actually. So for Claudia specifically, um, one of the things I like about the company is 
on the HR side, we do have a huge push for, you know, diverse hiring. Um, we're all about getting women in STEM. We're all about getting people of color. Um, I'm involved with that. Um, you know, I've got a lady that I work with named Lori Strange, who is one of the best, best systems engineers I've ever worked with in my life. She's a woman of color. She has built her career from the ground up. And she is an absolute rock star. And the best part is that she's like my older sister at work. If I'm having a bad day or I don't know what to do, and she's been at me for about 15, 16 years, I can go to Lori and shut her door. And she just goes, Kyle, sit down. Let's have a talk. Let's work. That's like her name. And, I, yeah. and I'm like, God bless you, Lori. I needed you today. Um, yeah. It's like, Chris. Um, yeah, but you know, we have to get on the podcast. Yeah, no, yeah, you absolutely should get Lori on the podcast. She is an absolute gem. You will not find anybody that handles pressure and complex systems and cuts through the fat to get to the heart of a matter faster than that lady. She's amazing. Bruce says, "When can I start?" Everyone wants in. Tony says, "Diversity is great. How can we connect?" So, I yeah, mean, find me on LinkedIn, Kyle Drazy. People are going to be all over this. So some You should. Yeah, go ahead. Chris, you want to go? Or? Yeah, I was going to say for, I mean, the majority of our audience is either trying to break into the field or transition from another field into cyber. Um, what are some of the, the tips that you've learned um, over the years or that you would like to see in the next generation coming in um, to better prepare themselves for this for this field or for working in a company like uh, BAE, for example? Yeah, so what I'm seeing in the future is you're gonna have to have much more of an analytical mindset, no matter what you're doing within the cyber field. Um, with automation and machine learning becoming more intertwined in normal cyber operations, you know, all the tier one, tier two stuff that people traditionally have cut their teeth on until they can get into more higher level stuff is, you know, within the next generation or two, I, I see it going away. Um, so I would be looking more into the soft skills. I would be looking into the abilities to connect with your clients, understand their pain points, um, be able to craft solutions for them. Um, you know, being up on capabilities instead of specific product suites. Um, you know, BA is the largest systems integrator in the world. We're that because we don't say we only use product A or we only use product B. We use whatever product's going to work best in that situation, and we're going to integrate it into that solution, no matter what it is, as long as it's not owned by, you know, a nefarious actor or government. You know, I'm not going to put in a bunch of Kaspersky stuff into a U.S. government network uh, <laughs> or Lenovo. Um, but yeah, so there's a joke for Chris. Um, but yeah, um, I would work on the soft skills. Um, and that's honestly something that separates sort of the wheat from the shaft in the cyber domain anyway, is those people that aren't afraid to get out in front of a CISO or a CIO or a board or even just an account manager and talk about cyber, you know, understand what those company pain points are, figure out what is an actual good solution instead of going in and being able to read from the script prompt and then the second that falls apart, they go, well, this has been fruitful. Um, and, and, you know, going that way. And, you know, if you really want to make money in cyber, you've got to get on the sales engineering somehow. 
Um, if you're going to sit at a station and do tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four, forensics, any of that, that those are great. And you need to do that to cut your teeth. Um, and if, if that's all you want to do, that's fine too. Um, but if you want to go farther in your career, you're going to have to get in the business side of it. You know, so if you're in college and you're studying cybersecurity, computer engineering, take some business classes, you know, understand how procurement works, understand basic budgeting, understand some basic accountancy. So then that way, when you're meeting with, you know, a client, you actually realize their pain points instead of just nod and sort of, you know, passive appreciation. Um, you know, because that's one of the things is we're still at the point where, you know, budgets for security aren't controlled by the people that, you know, have the buy-in towards security. It's done by the CFO and the COO. So what they're going to do is they're going to do just enough security to maintain optimal business operations and not a penny more. So you might need to have... For an ideal cybersecurity program, you might need to have regular vulnerability assessments and testing and true security testing. You know, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, you know um, pen testers out there sell pen testing, and all they're really doing is doing a scan and saying this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. That's not a pen test. That's a vulnerability scan. Congratulations. You know, uh, a pen test is when you're sitting there and you're developing you know, a target within the network after interview. You can do, you know, white box, black box, clear box, gray box. You can do all that sort of stuff and, you know, have an outcome. You know, a true pen test would be like, you know, I want to do a security test of Chris's organization. My goal is to send an email from one of the executives Outlook account. And don't tell me how to do it and give me a timeline of when to do it. You know, something like that. And those are expensive. And most companies don't want to pay that because the other part is, is like, you know, think of it like your kitchen, right? Renee, you've got kids, right? <laughs> if you can't hear them yet, yeah, that's exa <laughs> exactly, you know, I know what's under my fridge doesn't mean I want to move it and clean it out. That's the way a lot of these organizations are for their networks. You know, as long as it's out of sight, out of mind, it's not their problem until it becomes their problem. Absolutely. <laughs> You yeah. know, and so then when you're talking about a breach, you know, you need to have a good incident response plan and a good incident response program, which are two very different things. You know, what I see within a lot of companies is their incident response plan is pretty robust. You know, all the nerds like me are going to do this, 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 and this, and they're going to contain the spill and blah, 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 blah. But the incident response program is what everybody that doesn't work in the cybersecurity field are doing. So, you know, what's your marketing doing? What's your CFO doing? What's your CEO doing? What are their responses? Do you have marketing already draft up press releases saying, yes, we've been breached. We've been exposed. This is what happened. And here's what we're doing. Um, what's legal doing? Yeah, what's legal doing? Um, you know, do you have a plan in place to deal with law enforcement? Because depending on the nature of the breach, you have to deal with law enforcement. And then you're talking about chain of custody issues, things that are of most organizations. And, you know, uh, a good example of that is Maersk and Scania in, in Scandinavia. When both of them were breached, the big logistics companies, one had a plan in place and literally went to entirely analog operations. And the other just sat there floundering, trying to pretend like it didn't get hacked. Well, guess whose stock price went up and guess whose stock price went down? The one that went to analog and lost some money ahead of time because they went completely offline for about a week while they just went back and rebuilt everything their stock price went up 
because the market said, okay, these people knew it's not a matter of if they're going to get breached, it's when. And they had a plan and a program in place. And these other guys didn't. You know, and if you're going to throw your money or your data into a company like that, you want to know that it's being protected as best as it can. Right. And, you know, it's not nothing is secure the second it plugs into the Internet, period. Right. Kyle, you know, we have but so it's securing it the most. Yeah, go ahead. So, so Tony Thomas says I'm a I'm a fresh from graduate school and I already have my security plus. What should I focus on next? If he's fresh out of graduate school and got his sec plus, he needs to go get himself a cybersecurity job at any level and build up experience. Yep. Absolutely. Hiring friend, yep, Tony Thomas. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the good old, yeah. um, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be the provocative person here, the good old chicken and egg situation. Yeah, go ahead. Um, how, how do you get the experience if you don't have it? Um, what are some of the ways that you would recommend for college grads to demonstrate the experience to get past the entry-level job requirements sure. that ask for that much experience? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is you don't necessarily have to go to college. Um, you know, a very good buddy of mine is a, also a security architect at Microsoft. He's entirely self-taught. And, you know, I went through high school with him and never went to college. And he's doing just fine for himself. Uh, the public library was his best, uh, his best friend in that whole regard. Um, getting through some of the entry-level stuff. You know, I mean, some of the junior analyst stuff, I mean, let's be honest. What is cyber, first of all? You know, everyone and their mother has a different idea of what cyber is. And it's everything from someone that answers a phone at a help desk to someone who's, you know, an operational security SME and gets paid to hack banks, you know, um, and everything in between. Um, I kind of air more on the side that cybersecurity is more in the operational space and then everything else is just good IT security hygiene. Um, but, but that doesn't matter because you can start in one of those spaces and start building up your CV that way. Um, you know, so, I mean, there are so many jobs out there that'll say something like, you know, a computer science degree and six months of experience. Did you do anything while you were at school for the university? You know, did you work in their shop? Did you work underneath a professor in an internship or an independent study? Count that. You know, um, what I see a lot, I was actually talking with a, a young man yesterday um, who's the boyfriend of one of my former commander's daughters. So uh, my old colonel called me up and said, hey, Kyle, can you talk to this guy, Fernando? He's like, he's dating my daughter, Chance, and he just graduated from Baylor with a systems engineering and comp sci degree and wants to be something cool. And I was like, sure. And, you know, he's talking about finding jobs that have nothing to do with what he wants to do in his actual life until he can find an entry level job into what he wants to do. And I said, no, like, you know, you need to go and, you know, put the work in and do, you know, Put, put some shoe leather into it, find anything you can to get your foot in the door, you know, and that's not just cyber, that's anything, you know, if you want to be a carpenter, show up at a work site and ask if you can move around lumber and then eventually ask if you can drive some nails. And this is the exact same thing. And the next thing you know, you can be the guy that's drafting the blueprints to build some giant mansion. Cyber is the same deal, you know, never stop learning. That's another thing is, you know, you come across some people that they get their sec plus or their sysp or whatever it is, and they get comfortable where they're at, and then they stop. 
and that's okay if that's really all you want to do. But if you want to continue to develop and get more and more opportunities, never stop learning, never stop driving, get into new stuff. Uh, Rogers asked about something getting new into the commercial sector and what's the pros versus kind of working security versus government space versus commercial. Right now, there's been a paradigm shift in the security space between government and commercial. Uh, all throughout the entire Cold War, the tech on the government side was light years ahead of anything you saw in the commercial space. In the last 15 years, though, that entire narrative has flipped. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's still some stuff in DARPA and IARPA that will make your head explode. But right now, especially in the cyber IT networking space, you see the government scrambling to catch up with things that Fortune 500 companies are doing. And it's always the new tech company. I mean, like right now I'm seeing giant battles back and forth between Elastic and Splunk, you know, and next week somebody else is going to come in and then it's going to be like, oh, well, Splunk is passe this week. Now it's Elastic and ABC Corp, you know, and it's just always changing. And the government, because they're behind in that regard, in a lot of places, it's, you know, the next bright, shiny object. And, you know, the commercial side is a little different because you're looking more at budget considerations and constraints, uh, um, where instead of just getting a line of accounting from Congress saying, hey, here's your budget for this, spend it. And if you don't, we're going to cut it next year. You know, in the commercial space, it's, hey, here's your budget for this. And then it's, oh, well, something came up. We need to shift it over here. So it's, it's very much Simper Gumby. And I know Rogers coming from the military knows what that means, um, you know, and, and yeah. And in the commercial space, it's not the new bright, shiny object. It's what capability gap do we have and what fills it right. full stop period. Not, yeah. Ooh, I saw this at RSA and now I want to completely change out the platform we've been using for a year <laughs> and a half to something else. Um, you know, Right. Yeah. So I just want to repeat the question because this goes to this goes to audio as well. So if people are sure. not watching, um, so Rogers had asked, and Kyle just answered, but Rogers had asked, said that he too has a military background. He's new in the commercial sector, and he wanted to know what Kyle's thoughts were and his pros versus cons for working in security in a government space versus commercial. So that's the answer to what uh, Kyle just said. But just to add on to add on to it to add on to the question that Rogers had, another thing I've seen, especially in the cyber field, is this sort of tribalism where you've got people that'll only work the government part, and even within it's like sub tribes. If I only work in the intelligence community, or I only work in more like the federal IT space, and then people that work in commercial, I recommend jumping back and forth between the two. Because you're going to have lessons to learn and you're always going to be more valuable to your parent organization. You know, I mean, the funny thing is, is like when I worked commercial, they would go, oh, this is Kyle. He's got a military background. He worked at Alphabet Soup of three letter agencies. And the people at the commercial are, you know, side are like, whoa, this guy's from, you know, so and so in this special program. And wow, James Bond crap. And then you go to the government side and you're like, oh, yeah, I worked for this major bank or, you know, I did cybersecurity for Gatorade or something. It's like, whoa, Gatorade, that's awesome. You know, it goes back and forth and, you know, it makes you more valuable for your company, uh, whether it's someone you work for or yourself. 
Um, and it gives you different problems because, you know, if you're working like the SMB market for a commercial and you're dealing with like mom and pop shops, you know, uh, I always use the metaphor of, you know, like if you're the cyber, if you're the CISO for like, uh, you know, a mom and pop like bakery that's got four or five different locations in like the Pacific Northwest, I'm not really concerned that you're going to have like advanced persistent threats and, you know, nation states trying to find your brownie recipe. You know, that's stuff you're going to deal with on the military and federal side and also some of the big business, especially the banks. But you're going to be dealing more with script kitties and just dealing with, you know, kind of the overall ash and trash of, you know, cybersecurity administration. And that's a good thing to learn, you know, and it's in a much more manageable way to digest it and learn those lessons than, hey, you're going to be responsible for the administration and governance of, you know, a 250,000 input network and go, you know, that's a lot to digest. <laughs> it's a good way to get your foot in a door. It is, absolutely. And it builds up that experience. And there are, a, I mean, especially, uh, you know, when you look at like the rise of like, uh, you know, crypto jacking and ransomware and all these other stuff, there are so many opportunities in the local government space. Um, you know, my own town in Warrington uh, here in Virginia got breached last year. Um, and, you know, I had a discussion with the mayor and their IT manager and, you know, basic stuff like, hey, you know, what framework do you guys base your operation off? Do you use NIST? Do you use ISO? And a lot of them are going, we've heard of those. We don't really have anything off of that yet. So there is ample opportunity within local government space. If you just want to start your own business and go in and say, hey, you know, I've got a governance certification. Let me help walk through this to make sure you guys are doing what you're supposed to. Give them a good price. A lot of them will probably give you a good shot at it, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Claudia wants to know if you guys sponsor security clearances at BAE. We do sponsor security clearances. Right now, a nation, national agency check for a secret clearance can take about six months. If you're looking at TSSCI, they're behind. Um, I myself am currently going through my periodic review. Yay me! Um, and uh, it takes it takes about eighteen months, um, depending on what's going on. You can get a, a temporary granted to you, um, especially depending on what your skill sets are. Um, the other thing too is you've got to remember that. Even though ICD 703 says reciprocity shall be the law of the land, not every government agency always falls into line with that or finds some little tiny loophole. Um, so, like, I hold clearances for DOD, for DHS, for some other people, and I have to because I can't just show up and go, hi, I'm Kyle, look me up in the system. It just, it's not that simple. Um, so, like, DHS has its EOD background investigation, which... Uh, I mean, some of our DHS programs, those people can get EOD in two weeks and other times it takes them six months. Yeah. And that's already having the clearance. Um, so yes, we do. It's kind of more program specific about yeah. how long it's going to take and how you're going to get it. Um, so, obviously, okay. if you want to get a security clearance, please be a U.S. citizen. Um, if you're not, can't really help you. Um, we do have some other opportunities for people that are green card and H-1B holders, uh, just not on the cleared side for fairly obvious reasons. Cool. Bruce wants to know when can he start? <laughs> Laugh out loud. <laughs> Say, 
<laughs> James says he's looking for a senior IT leadership career opportunities that will leverage his strong background in enterprise architecture and security. Do you have any thoughts on organizations looking to hire for senior VP director level roles? Yeah, so for the senior VP and director levels on uh, the technical side, I guess it depends for James more if he's looking at more of like senior tech governance or senior tech like R&D. Um, Typically for the big five, like my company, like Northrop Grumman, like Boeing, there is some, uh, you know, back and forth amongst ourselves, but we typically don't hire for those senior executive positions from outside. Um, we might pull it from one of our, our partner companies like uh, General Dynamics or something, and you will see some back and forth. Uh, between those at the senior level, but we typically won't do it for, you know, a guy that owned his own business and coming in unless he or she is already known within the organization, um, you know, because you're dealing with budgets of, you know, 10 and 11 figures. So you need to make sure it's someone you trust. So we tend to already have had done the vetting. Um, but going back to the SMB sort of role, you know, for James specifically, I don't know if he's interested more in the government sector or the private sector. I mean, the private sector is rampant with opportunities right now, um, especially more smart up, uh, startups and product specific organizations. Right. You know, they are dying for people with senior VP management skills, you know, whether it's tech development, marketing, business operations, you name it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's where I would look instead of looking, you know, at, I don't want to, this is my one, don't look at BAE for this. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we certainly have those opportunities, but, you know, uh, you've got to put the hard yards in before you get the, the scratch at that sort of stuff with us. Um, you know, uh, the quickest way I know to get a director level in one of the big five is retire from the government or the military at a colonel, sergeant major, GS-15 equivalent or above, and expect to work the same sort of agency, customer, client, and projects you were doing as a government or military member. Mm -hmm. And the issue with that is you rarely see people break out of that, though. Um, <laughs> is you know you become the you know the state department guy because you were an ambassador and right. you know they're not gonna they're not gonna put you on dhs or fbi or something like that um but yeah yeah uh, yeah that's I, I would look at the smb market and you know the other great thing about smb market is anybody that's driven around dc sees giant buildings branded with bae systems and boeing and everything else <laughs> And even in the COVID commercial real estate market, we're still having to pay that rent. So we've got some overhead costs that some of those smaller businesses aren't, um, yeah. you know, so they can spread out the wealth a little bit more where we kind of have more job security. And for people who don't, who may not know what SMB is, a small and medium sized business space. Yep. So Bruce says this is the energy security people need to have and the technical and soft skills in the best of the best. And he's talking about you, Kyle. Well, yeah. thank you, Bruce. That's why, that's, that's why BAE allows me to be a talking head every now and again. 
Alicia says, I am, or Elisha, I am deeply interested in the talk with Kyle Dracy. How can one join BAE, the BAE family? I'm presently working as a technical analyst. So he has an MS in security, mm -hmm. a bachelor's in computer science, um, an AWS developer certification. He's planning to sit for a security architect. Oh, if you want to be a solutions architect, link with me on LinkedIn. I've actually got two openings right now for a senior data scientist, and uh, I believe the other one is another uh, model-based systems engineering uh, SME. Um, but we always have openings, one or the other. Um, again, we've got, I think, 26 sectors within the company. Um, so we've got essays in all of those. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, like I said, um, if I worked a year in every part of the company, I would retire before I hit every sector. Um, and for Claudia, yes, we do deal with cybersecurity within industrial control systems and SCADA and strategic systems and some other fun stuff uh, that we can't talk about on YouTube. <laughs> there we go. So everyone's thanking you. Rogers has another follow-up question. He says, is stakeholder engagement similar in both sectors, commercial versus government? Um, and Rogers, don't apologize for additional questions. We love that. Yeah, no. Um, yes and no. How's that for an answer? Um, <laughs> stakeholder engagement within both sectors is, you know, you need to be client obsessed. Uh, with my clients, uh, you know, we always bond over other things other than work. Um, you know, so I've got kids, I've got horses, I've got dogs, I like to cook, I build guitars, I play music, all that fun stuff. So I find commonalities between myself and them. Everyone's going to have something in common. I find food is one of the great sort of uh, uh, equalizers in, in all of humanity. Um, so talk about, you know, travel, something like that, you know, develop that personal relationship, you know, learn about your stakeholder, learn what makes them tick, learn what they don't like. You know, if they have an absolute aversion to a specific product set, take note of that. So when something comes up, you don't come to them with product A that you know they hate in their hour of need and you are not being helpful to them. Um, within the government, you're adding an additional layer to that where you need to know everything going on within that agency from the director or the commanding general or admiral down, you know, what are the major narratives? What's the political atmosphere at the time? What's going on with funding from Congress? What's going on in the political uh, realm for international politics, uh, especially if you're in the DOD? or intelligence community. Um, and then, you know, to a certain respect in the commercial sector, it's similar about, you know, what sort of is going on in global and national markets. You know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it goes back to being client obsessed and knowing what is going to make them tick and what they really need. Cause it's not about, you can sell them once on a product. Anybody can do that. My seven year old daughter can sell them something once. It's about building that relationship to whereas they have concurrent and successive needs that the first person they think about is you calling you and saying, what can you all do to help me? You know, it, it, yeah, it's, it's the difference between, you know, a one-off transaction and building that strategic partnership that we pride ourselves on and, you know, getting them a comprehensive portfolio of security solutions. Right. 
Claudia says that her dissertation topic is implementing cybersecurity in ICS. So she's going to look to you all for opportunities. Sure. Uh, we have a lot of them internationally at the moment. Um, we're doing some very interesting things in that piece of the world that sort of starts in Greece and ends in China um, around ICS. Um, so if she likes to travel, I can um, definitely set her up with some of my colleagues in a different part of the company that's doing that overseas. Uh, here, I need someone to have a clearance day one to get into that. Yeah, and ICS is one of those growing spaces. There's um, several other startup-like companies that are growing. Oh, in yeah. No, we've partnered with a lot of them. We've got some of our own products around ICS SCADA. Um, I've dabbled in it some. It's the kind of stuff that can definitely keep you up at night. Um, you know, you got to remember most of these SCADA systems were developed in the 70s, where the concept, you know, there was no there was no DevSecOps when they were developing that software. You know, um, and then, you know, someone has the bright idea to make something more efficient. They're going to, you know, write a couple lines of code and then inject it. So they hook it up to the Internet in order to do it. And now you have this incredibly unstable, unsecure platform that you just expose to every vector known to man. And yeah, um, but for Claudia, great idea. ICS SCADA is going to keep you busy. You are never going to be... Um, Board, and you're never going to be looking for work for very long. Uh, it kind of goes back um, to some of our previous discussions, you know, especially within the United States and Canada, a lot of your utilities are local or state. And so there's ample opportunities if you're willing to take a short drive or a plane trip where you can fix, you know, a hydroelectric, you know, substation in Alberta and then come down and work with an electrical grid in Alabama and all around and across, um, everybody needs help. And so good idea for ICS SCADA, definitely lots and lots and lots of opportunities within that realm. Plus every system is unique and it's a puzzle yeah. and it's to figure out. Yeah, and all of them, it, it's, kind of like, uh, it's kind of like finding your old childhood NES or Atari, like locked away in a closet somewhere, you plug it in, you're like, this is so simple yet, it's got its own complexities and you sort of have to figure out the little widgets within it. Uh, SCADA is similar to that. And, you know, like I said, there are some SCADA systems that are not much more complicated than Pong, um, which is, <laughs> but it, it's a great thing for the user. It's a scary thing for the security analyst. Mm -hmm. So uh, another comment, Elisha said, I did really appreciate um, your answer and he wants to thank you very much and he will be, reaching out to you. Yeah, later. happy. Awesome. So we are closing in on, goodness, almost 50 minutes. Folks, get your last questions in because Kyle has to go back to that plethora of uh, pings, dings, and <laughs> outreach coming for all I've the I've got work. a lot of active RFI. <laughs> you have a lot going on right now. Um, so if you have any other questions, let him know. Chris, you want to ask something? Yeah, <clears throat> I was just going to say, um, kind of summarizing everything you've said so far, for those looking to get into the government or the contracting space, um, what are some of the first steps that they should do to prepare themselves for that environment? Because it's 
slightly different yeah, than sure. the commercial sector. Oh, it's it's entirely different. Um, within the government space, try to find an internship while you're at school. Uh, be a veteran helps. Uh, they still have the hiring preference for being veterans. Plus, you already come with a lot of the, the different training already. Um, not too many people just walk off the street and magically find themselves in even like a GS9 position for one of the three letters. Um, it just doesn't happen. Um, you know, if you can find an internship while you're in school, obviously that really only works if you're going in school closer to the DC area to get a lot of the three letter agencies. Um, military is always the great equalizer. Um, it's the greatest vehicle of upward socioeconomic mobility in our nation. And that's for a reason. Um, you know, so lots of people go in there. You've got to get your 8570 compliance certifications in order to even do your job in the military. So even if you go as a guard or reservist, you're going to get your SEC plus, you're going to get, you know, um, your CEH. If you stay in a little bit longer, you'll have to get your CISP, you know, and you're constantly developing skills that will make you, you know, very attractive to someone like us or to the government itself. Um, you know, obviously, if you want to do like contractor IT for the military, having been a military, you know, IT technician helps a lot. Um, you know, the thing about being specifically a contractor is we're looking for people that don't need a lot of the, you know, watering, feeding and sunlight. You know, we expect you on day one to get to your workstation and be able to work because that's what the client's paying for. They're not paying, even, even at a junior level, they expect you to be able to operate at a junior level, you know, yeah. so that's not a complete neophyte. Um, so I always tell people, don't go straight for the contracting, you know, treasure chest because a lot of people do because like, ah, you know, I can do the same job as a contractor that I'd be doing in government and making way more. Yeah, you do, but you don't have the same job security. You know, because especially if you're billing direct, you know, the second there's a hiccup with a line of accounting, the government goes, all right, well, we can't pay for the contractors right now. Well, you sit at home then, you know, because if you're not billing direct, you're not getting paid, you know. And so, yeah, I would I would look into getting your foot in the door via internships while you're in school, via the military um, and getting, you know, some experience and certifications that way, specific if you want to do government and contracting. You know, I do not know a single government contractor that hasn't at one point or another had to support the Pentagon, you know, so that's just something that you're going to have to understand that entire environment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Kyle, like Claudia says here, thank you for your thoughts and wisdom. I think that was such <laughs> exactly what I would say as we close out. This has been extremely helpful. Hope I haven't scared anyone away from a career in cybersecurity. I, I think you literally sat here and told us about this movie that you've been living for the past how many ever years, and everybody wants in. So no, I don't think you scared anyone at all. I think come I think on down. We just uh, we just won a multi million dollar war gaming contract for uh, cyber network defense and cyber network offense with the U.S. Marine Corps. So. That's a new thing we're going to be hiring a bunch of people for. Um, like I said, we've. Uh, oh, it's in like two minutes. Um, so the well, what I can talk about it. So it's war gaming in the traditional sense of you're setting up adversaries and defenders and basically attacking each other in a sandbox environment 
to see who's basically going to shoot, move, and communicate with ones and zeros better than the other. Um, we've been doing that. We've been building up a number of cyber ranges uh, for the United States Army that's gotten the interest of the sister services as well as some of the international partners. So a cyber range is, hey, we're going to give you a specific scenario, you know, um, within your network as either, you know, the attacker or the defender and see how you do. Um, so, you know, that can be anything from, all right, we're going to pretend this script kitty is within your network and you need to, you know, block them off and, you know, keep them from moving around your network and causing rampant destruction to, hey, you've had a APT, like, I don't know, Fancy Bear or any of those that have been in your environment, you know, go eradicate it to, hey, we need you to do a, a tailored access on this type of network and get into it and don't get caught by the SimSource solutions we've set up. Um, and everything in between. Um, I've been developing something right now in a white paper, which I can't say too much about. It's not classified, but I don't want anybody to steal it. <laughs> be a completely bespoke um, cyber range where if you can dream it, it can be it. And I'm going to make it all cloud-based so we can ramp it up immediately. Um, but uh, if anyone's ever played Call of Duty in the first level with Captain Price in the Kill House, it's going to be something like that, but within a cyber realm. So it's pretty cool. That does sound awesome. So, Belle, yeah. <laughs> she asked a quick question that we already answered. Um, Belle, if we go back, we asked this already. Do you need the unique security clearance? It depends on the role. Um, but Kyle has to run, and we will you know, reconnect again, but Kyle, thank you. We have to bring you back. This was yeah, sure. And we learned a ton. I know I did. I learned a ton. And I know that you'll have a plethora of people reaching out to you on LinkedIn because yeah, I look forward to it. everyone wants to be working in your bat cave at this point. <laughs> it's way it's it's way better than doing Nessus scans all day. I can tell you that much. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Kyle. All right, thank thanks, Renee. Thanks, Chris. The engagement, and we will see you again on another issue, another um, episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business with a decade and a half of specialized experience. We're not just advisors, we're your strategic partners in growth and risk mitigation. Our tailored advisory services range from immediate hourly guidance to comprehensive three or six month packages, all supported with encrypted messaging for real-time assistance. For more information, cpfcoaching.com is your destination. Forge a path to success and distinction in the cybersecurity landscape. Connect with CPF Coaching LLC today and secure your business's future.